Good morning. Today's reading is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Seven chosen to serve. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Pocorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the, dis the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Dee. Well done on all those names, huh? That was uh, a little difficult. So thank you for doing that. So now I don't have to. I can just skip right over that part and say, you know, all the names. Um, well, good morning. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And uh, it's great to have you here this morning. Good to be here all together. Um, and uh, just a heads up, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I want to make sure that you know I have a Hutter, so it'll kind of come in and out as we go, and uh, yeah, I just want to make sure that you guys know um, what that is. And um, there are a lot of exciting things going on right now, as has been shared. Um, one thing before I get into kind of in a, into our sermon time, and then even something else, I want to um, let you know is we we announced last week, or we introduced last week, a group um, of people came from Northern California, from actually my old church, and even in. Kelsey's church as well, and Annie, who serves here. Um, that's actually the church that she grew up in, and it's a really cool ministry partnership that I just want to share some on the back end, what we got to see God do, and, and many of you hosted them, and, and Lord willing, in the years to come, we'll have this every year, they'll come in, and they um, talked about like quadrupling the number of people, and the budget and all these things in the years to come and they're really excited they came and it's so neat because we're a young church a church plant that's only two and a half years in since we launched and that church has been going strong for I think like 50 plus years and it's so neat the way God works and even some of what we'll talk about this morning is they come with a learning posture and it's so humbling in some ways to See some of these people, again, who have been elders, serving faithfully for years and years, come and say, wow, we're so excited about what you're learning and what you're doing. You know, help us understand. We do all-of-life interviews here often where we interview someone and we help to connect the dots about how God's, how, how the good news of Jesus uh, re reveals itself in every aspect of our lives and how every vocation and hobby and relationship has something to say about the story of God. And so we'll, um, we often do those. And so they've started doing those. They came here lo lo last year. We did one. We explained what we do and why we do that. And they've taken them back. And, and it's just really neat to see them come with that kind of posture. But they also bring a ton that we just can't do. They put in windows and a new floor, and we got to love and come alongside and serve alongside a church in South Tucson that we're building a relationship with. It's called the Living Word Church. Pastor John Benson is a, a friend of mine, and it was just, again, we can't do that. We can't put in floors and windows. Some of you guys, maybe you can if that's true. Um, we need to know who you are so we can do some of that. But they came and did all this work in a couple days, and it's just such a blessing. So I just want to share with you on the back end just exciting things that we get to be a part of. And while we have a number of our our Students are gone all over the place, and some of you just got back, and some of you, uh, some of them are still gone. Um, I actually want to also just acknowledge when we first started, like spring break week or summer or any time there were going to be students gone, we were tripping. We were like, well, you know, should we just all meet in a circle? And because it was mostly students. So it's really exciting to continue to see us grow in generational diversity. Amen. Um, okay, we, we love seeing that here. 
On that note, let me share with you another thing really excited about what we have coming up. Some of you guys might remember in November we did an event, a one-night kind of thing called Tapestry, where we talked about God's heart for his body, his people being reflected in diversity. And specifically, that, that, that language that we use is a, is, is a tapestry really cannot fully um, form something beautiful or form a picture with separate parts. A quilt, you could, right? You take different pieces, you put them near each other, but they don't really um, uh, work together. Well, a tapestry is different threads of different colors, different sizes, all these different things that are woven together that together um, form something new and beautiful all together. And that God's heart for forming a people diversely is really to reflect something like a tapestry. And we had this incredible event. A bunch of people came, other churches, all these other things. Well, we said then, we're not just going to have one event that we hang our hats on and just say, hey, that was fun, right? We hit our part. That's great. That was good when we did it. But that something would be coming that would allow us to embody the gospel together, to not just have an event, but to actually live out God's heart for bringing us together as a people, specifically broken up into four categories, the age, race, finances, and gender. That those are four categories that typically have a lot of tension and a lot of, you know, when people come together on those things, it's messy. And even as we'll see in our time in the word today, that's God's heart though, is to bring people together and to reflect a new people, his people together that cross those boundaries. And so what we're having is tapestry tables, which is going to be a monthly commitment. Okay, it'll be the first Monday of every month. And, and on that week, we're actually not going to have redemption communities, which we normally have every week and encourage you to get involved with those. But we believe so strongly in this that we're not going to have our communities um, won't meet each won't meet that week because we're encouraging and each group will encourage people to go to make their redemption community be the tapestry table that week or that month. And we're going to form them together to be diverse, to be, again, different people coming together. This, there's so many things. We're going to announce this three more times as we go. But a, a couple things I want to make you aware of. This is not going to be top-down, like overly programmatized, here's some information, take it and download it. This is going to be, again, forcing us to embody the gospel, to come together and around subjects, again, in those things, age, race, generation, and finances that usually would bring tension and talk about, well, how do you understand that? What lenses do you have on that, 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 that inform how you come toward any of those subjects? And what does it look like to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself in light of these things. And again, we'll be talking about this even in our text this morning. And uh, one more thing on that is we're asking people not to just think, oh, I'll try it out, I'll come, I'll see, and, or I'll come this month, and then I won't come the next month. No, we're asking on the front end for people to commit to say we're covenanting together to come around these subjects because what we're praying it will bring about is going to be stuff that, that almost forces us at some point to say, I want to tap out, I want to leave, and that we will say, but I made a commitment to these people, so I'm going to stay here right now. Even though what that guy across the table just said, everything in me wants to either punch him or just leave, but I'm going to stay here and I'm going to seek to understand. James 1.19, be slow to speak and quick to listen or quick to understand and slow to anger. Okay, that we're going to have that posture together. And if it's like three of us or 30 of us, well, that's great. We're going to celebrate that. Okay, so you're invited in. We'd encourage you. There's a sign-up sheet at the Connect Desk. You can also sign up online. There will be some food there. Probably not like a full-on you know, meal, dinner, but there will be some food there. There also will be child care provided. And I could even share in the weeks to come or even when we start up how we came about that decision Right? We just at first were like, oh yeah, no child care, all this. And then we're like, wow, we just like wrote off half the people who we would want to be at the table by saying no child care provided fine year old child care. So we're learning, right? We're going to learn, continue learning. So we want to invite all of us in that to learning together. Uh, amen? All right. So ask, fill out a connect card if you have more 
questions on that. And uh, again, we'll announce it the next two weeks as well. And then we'll get started that first first Monday um, in April. So um, now, as we transition and we get into our time in, in, in uh, God's Word together in the book of Acts, as we just read, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, I just want to um, acknowledge I'm really glad we get this time together. It's um, seven short verses that are really packed. And um, so with that, go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 6. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, would you uh, hold your hand up high and keep it up? And somebody will get you a Bible. También si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es nos regalo a usted. Y estamos en Hechos Capítulo 6. Um, again, we said if you don't own a Bible, please keep this, all right? Hold your hand up high. Keep it up. Don't do the auction thing. It's not too late. If you didn't get your hand up yet, you can always do it. They'll come up and get you one. And, and if you have one, please bring it with you each week because, again, this is God's word that we submit to and we think that I'm not funny enough or smart enough or definitely not tall enough or good-looking enough or whatever else it might be to convince any of us to do anything Right? We need God's word to shape us and to form us individually and as a community. Amen? All right. And this is also an interactive type deal. So uh, thank you for that. Those amens means I get it. I'm tracking with you. And uh, I agree. And so here's some handles for where we're going to be this morning as we get into our time together is this. We're going to see God leading his people, his church. Okay, remember, Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles, not these really cool, really faithful 12 people that just did stuff and, and we could look back to as like an archaic something to remember they did back then. But no, this is the works of God on display as he leads and forms and shapes his people. Then, 2,000 years ago, and today here in this place among us. And so what we'll see we're doing is God leads his people who are facing problems and then he leads his people dealing with problems and God leads his people, his church, redeeming problems. So that's where we'll see. That's where we'll be together. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us uh, this morning. What has been historically called, okay, we use that language historically called. This is what the church for many years as they got, as we walk through the story of God, like we are this morning, right? Call to worship, time of confession or passing the peace, time of confession, assurance of grace, and now our time of coming under God's word and hearing the good news of Jesus. Um, together, there's a prayer of illumination, which means we're recognizing we need God the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears to receive and respond to his good news. So with that, let me pray for us. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we get this morning. We, we thank you for your work around the world and around Tucson for other churches that we get to pray for. As we mentioned this morning, we pray for Presidio Church. We also pray for the uh, Evangelical Free Church of Chico who were just here with us. And, and we thank you for the students uh, through different uh, college ministries who are all over the place, all over the country, and even all over the world, learning and growing and sharing the good news of Jesus. And so as we come together this morning to come under your gospel, to hear your word, we pray that you will shape us. Lord, that you will re remove distractions, that you will protect us from the attacks of the enemy, and that you will allow us and enable us to engage fully in worship and to prepare us to respond to you with our whole lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, picking right up in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. By the way, I didn't say, turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to chapter 6, right? Like I've been doing. You guys notice that? Yeah, Jared over here was giving me like this cutthroat. He was shaking his head, and I loved my neighbor as myself by not doing it. Okay, so we're getting there. Um, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Uh-oh. Problem starts to set in among God's people. 
We've just read and we've been looking here this kind of overlap and this, this continual flow of God doing incredible things and 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus and then 5,000 people and 2,000 people and thousands and thousands of people are trusting Jesus and are getting baptized and the church is growing and growing in size and in health and yet there have been some problems that often go hand in hand with those things. And you saw, we saw back in chapter 5 earlier, two people from within the church. Hypocrisy entered in, destruction, even death, difficulty. It wasn't, oh, God's church is doing all these things and good things are happening and numbers are going and growing, and, but they out there are attacking us and bad things are happening. No, you see that problems are rising up often from within the church. And that's actually what's happening here right away is, is God's people are facing problems together. They're, 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 they're already entering into some difficulty. And it's coming from within. And it has to do with their growth. Something really good, right? They're growing in number. It said that right there. They're growing in number and that revealed some problems. And we've already seen that be true of us, right? We started about three and a half years ago with 19 adults and a handful of kids in my backyard. And even right there within the first couple of months, some problems rose up and there were different questions and concerns and, 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 and people wondering what's going to happen as we do grow. Will I have the same level of influence and, and favor and I just want to keep it like this. And I once heard someone say that, that you know, people love church plants until it stops being a church plant. And then it's like a a local healthy congregation and some people just like to be around it when it's in this phase early on and not as it continues to grow. And, and so, cause sometimes these issues and problems raise up and often they're good. They're good things, right? Numbers are growing, but they're revealing some problems. And let's be clear here. Some of these problems that the early church is facing are racial and social. Uh Oh, Right? That's not real comfortable. That's, we don't like to talk about those kinds of things. In fact, we like to dismiss those kind of things. But God's word isn't silent about it. The, the text that we're walking through this morning doesn't say, yeah, but this is church. This is, we don't talk about those things. That's, that's politics. That's social stuff. Notice what they also don't do is they don't say, well, we're focused on the gospel and that's social stuff. We don't do social gospel here. We just do the gospel. And I don't know what the opposite of that is, the real gospel or whatever you would want to say with that. What I would submit to us, what it actually is when we do that is it's a truncated gospel. Or some would even say a, an, 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 an impotent or an armless gospel that has no real implications. But just like in our day, the claims of truth that the gospel, the good news have, are so universal, are so far-reaching that there's a level of integrity and credibility involved here. That if Jesus really rose from the dead and really is who he says he is and really did what he says he, he has done and is really doing what he says he is doing when, when we get a picture of Jesus on the throne, okay, ruling authoritatively, I don't know about you, but when you rule over anything authoritatively, you don't just kind of turn a blind eye and say, well, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to just keep doing this thing. Because no, if, you, if it's all yours, okay, we're told in scripture that, 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 that God created all things for his glory, the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them and under them. And he created you and me, humanity, to reflect his glory and for us to have a relationship with himself and with each other that is good and glorious and causes uh, everything to shout out in adoration for who he is. We just sang, how great is our God? And, and it's because God is so great that, that then when sin entered into the world, what the Bible calls the fall or the rebellion, it's, I've sometimes used this imagery of it's like a bully came and bloodied the nose of God's children and then stole our lunch money and, 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 and ripped our clothes and, and ruined every facet of our lives. And then the good news of the gospel is so great 
that God, our creator and our father, says, who says, I, I am making all things new. How many things is he making new? All things. A truncated gospel that says, just put your faith in Jesus and you will be saved and you will be forgiven. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead so that through him we might have life and have it abundantly. Well, a truncated gospel, okay, an armless gospel, an impotent gospel would just say, oh, just kind of stay there and that's good. And it's like God the Father saying, oh, I'll rescue you here and I'll take you away from here, but I'm not going to do anything about your nose getting bloodied, about your clothes getting torn, about your lunch money getting stolen. But the gospel is, is that. It is our Father rescuing us and redeeming us back into relationship with himself. But it's also him saying, I care about all of it because if he really created then it's all his. And if he's really restoring, then he cares about all of it. And he says, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take down the bully. I'm gonna turn him upside down. I'm gonna shake him out from his ankles until all the lunch money comes out. I'm gonna make sure everything, every, every tear is wiped away. Every bloody nose is cleaned up. Every identity, every community, every family is restored through the person and work of Jesus. So we don't get a social gospel and a salvation gospel. There's one gospel. There's one king. There's one good news. And it permeates every facet of life. And again, there's an integrity and a credibility here involved that this early church is forced to face. That guys, sadly, we're so often not forced to face these things. We have the privilege, and I would even say the danger of just chopping up and divvying up and turning a blind eye. But early on, they don't have that opportunity. So they're forced into this. But again, there's, there's a responsibility and an integrity and a credibility and let me even say an opportunity that these problems being, being coming to the surface and being made known is an opportunity for people to, to, who, who would want to say, yeah, see, the gospel only touches to this, this far to this part of life. But what about this over here? And what about that? What about my job? What about what I do with my life? What about, what about between, you know, Sunday at noon and Sunday morning? Like what everything else that happens in between there, what about all that? And just like in our day, I think a lot of people are looking on and saying, I don't really see how it connects. I don't really see how, how that has anything to do with this. No, no thanks. You can keep your Jesus. You can keep your faith because it doesn't do anything for the 95% of my life that I'm not in a seat on Sunday morning. But that's not true. Right? For those of you who are here this morning who are new to this or who are still investigating Jesus and still wondering, is he worth putting my faith in, putting my trust in? Y yes, because he's the creator and the author and the hero and the finisher of the whole story. And, and, and yes, through putting your faith in him, you are forgiven and accepted by almighty God. You are justified as the scriptures tell us. And that is absolutely crucial. That's the front door, if you will. And there is so much more too. There is adoption. There is identity that has been broken. There are relationships that are splintered. There is, there is work and, 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 and fun and hobby and joy and pleasure and relationships. Again, age, gender, um, r r money, race. And he cares about it all. And he says, listen, if you're my people, I want to form you to reflect me. And that means pressing into some problems. It's not easy. But as we'll see in this next section, he deals with problems. He doesn't just throw them at us and say, good luck, figure it out. No, there's a, there's, a, there's a dealing with these things, a pressing in. And so let's now pick up in verse 2. And I'm going to actually, how we're going to walk through this next um, verses 2 through, through 5 is like this. If even as you look with me, verses 2 and 4 really go together. And verse 3 and 5 really goes together. 
Because you see, there's, and this is often done in the scriptures, specifically by Luke here, the author of this. And it's where he's kind of hitting on an idea, and then he's, he's acknowledging something else about it. And then he goes on and he, and, he, and he connects the dots. And there's a thread that runs all throughout it. But just so you see here, first we see him dealing with this problem in verses 2 and 4 um, that, that they're going about it. And then in verses 3 and 5, we'll see how he deals with it. Okay, but, but in verses 2 and 4, you see that he is dealing with it. And, and I'll kind of connect these dots more as we go. But picking up in verse 2. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And then down in verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of of the word. So that word disciples there up in verse 2 and it's also used in verse 1. This is the first time this has been used in the book of Acts and it will be used many 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 more times and it means followers. And again at this point there are thousands and thousands of followers and so as 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 the the apostles the people that are currently overseeing the whole church here it's probably not that they called everyone here and they said all right everybody take out a little piece of paper here everybody you know we're going to take a vote or whatever but they called together they said those of you who are followers of Jesus come together because we know there's been an issue there's a racial and a and a and a language and a socioeconomic issue here where widows some of the most vulnerable in the community are, are, are getting left out. Those who primarily speak Greek, that's the Hellenists versus those who primarily speak Hebrew. Okay, they're probably still all Jewish. Um, and, and so they call them together and these are the followers of Jesus. You who follow Jesus, his gospel informs every part of your life. So come together. And so that's what's going on here. That's what that word means. I don't want to assume that we know what words mean here and just you, you use them and we're like, oh yeah, you know, that's just a Christian-y word. Again, that has nothing to say about my real life. No, gospel means good news. Disciple means follower. Missionary means sent one. Okay, one who is sent. Okay, so these words are real. They're, 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 they're very tangible, very practical to our lives today. Amen? But I don't know about you. When I first read this, it feels like there's a little twins or a tone of arrogance going on here by the apostles. Like there's kind of like a, well, slow your roll. You know, everyone come together. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's my country club voice. And I always just think that's what it is. Like, we're, we preach the word of God. We don't serve tables. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering or I'm sorry, verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You silly minions, you know, peasants, you guys go do all this other stuff. You go serve tables, we preach the word of God. Right? And um, I don't know, I'm not a real country club guy myself, but I assume that's how people talk there. And that's at least how I read this. It, it seems like from first glance, um, anyone else kind of get that? It feels like they're, they're saying like, we're really important, and you're not so much. So why are you bothering us with your silly problems? You know, I preach. Why are you asking me about where the signs go, silly setup team? I don't do that. I'm the lead pastor. Don't you know who I am? That is, all, that is demonic and antichrist and evil, and sadly, is so often the reality of how we function. We divvy it, everything up and we say, these are really important problems and really important roles and all you other silly people just do all the other stuff that I don't want to do, right? Or that I don't have to do because I'm so important. What's really going on here is I think God using this problem, God dealing with this problem in order to continue to raise up his people to carry out the full work of God through our diverse giftings and opportunities and, 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 and likes and desires and dislikes and all these different things, all working together for his glory and our joy and the good of others. Um, look with me. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, um, or we'll have it up here on the screen. But in verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians chapter 4, we see a, a glimpse of what's going on here, of God's design for how his people are to function together. And he gave the apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He gives these people, he gives these, these 12 here, this specific ministry, not to set them above or apart, not to give them a free status or a trump card to say we don't have to do all those other things and well, don't bother us here. I think what they're saying is we clearly have a calling and a commissioning from Jesus specifically. So that's what it means. One of the things that it meant to be an, an, an apostle in, in, the, in the scriptures, specifically one of the 12 apostles or to carry the title of apostle. And for anyone here who maybe grew up in an in, in, um, LDS environment, um, Mormon church, I'll just say, we believe that the scriptures clearly teach um, that there, there, there are no more apostles with a capital A, that that's a, a title given specifically by Jesus, who someone who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus and then, uh, or, the, or the resurrected Jesus and then was sent by Jesus and commissioned as an apostle. And that once the last of these 12 and um, were, we're given that and then including Paul. He'll talk about that later as one who's untimely born. Kind of spoiler alert. We'll see that coming up in Acts chapter 8. Jesus or Paul does um, come face to face uh, in chapter 9. We see Paul who's then called Saul meets the resurrected Jesus. All right. He meets Jesus. Jesus is risen from the dead. Paul says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, like check yourself. And then Paul gets blinded and puts his faith in Jesus. Case. So I don't know, maybe there's just a handful of us here, but again, we, language matters. So just so we understand, that's what we're dealing with here with these 12, with these apostles here who are, who are assigned and commissioned by Jesus. But just if you're taking notes, I didn't even plan on this, connect the dots, look over at Philippians uh, chapter 2. Okay, if you see what, what it means to be a leader, the, the author there, Paul, says, look at Jesus, who had this authority, who had this position, didn't consider it something to be grasped or something to be held on, but gave himself up for the good of, good of others, but dies to himself. Jesus physically dies on the cross. So he says, any of you who are leaders of others, sacrifice husbands for your wives and for your family, elders or church leaders for the good of others, as we just saw there in Ephesians 4, in order to equip others, to release, to send others, to carry out the work of the ministry. So we, we talk about this all the time here. If you're serving, our, our different roles of serving and of volunteering, if you're back there working with the kids, we're not saying, hey, just keep them quiet, do whatever, because we can't do that. We're too, we have these high and lofty things that we're called to. We can't be bothered with that, so you go do that. Or, you know, set up team or hospitality, like we don't make coffee, you know, that's for you. No, we talk about the ways that those things specifically reflect the very character and nature of God. That God is a hospitable God. That God, the God of creation, sets up a framework, a backdrop, if you will, for his, his, his work to, to be displayed gloriously on. So setting up chairs, thank God we don't have to actually set up chairs, right? Some of you guys who've been a part of other church plants, you know what I'm talking about. We don't have to set those chairs up. But we do all kinds of other things. Setting up signs and all these other things are specifically revealing something that is true and right of God and of his character. And we could go on and on about, about children's ministry and every different role and the incredible importance of it. And you see this problem of one group of people feeling slighted, giving an opportunity for God to continue to form and shape his people all of whom are called to live all of life, all for Jesus. Through all these different roles. And so they now appoint these others to, to, to uh, carry out this work. And it's not, okay, hear me, it is not what I was joking about earlier. It's not, we're high and lofty and we have these roles and you minions just do your thing and we're going to say, no, it's an opportunity for more and more people, every single person, to be invited into the work of God. And that's not to be taken lightly. There's nothing about God and his glorious kingdom that can be written off or dismissed. 
If just a little book that I once read and it came up in conversation this week, as I was like scraping up basically hardened dust on floors. Okay, I am not a construction guy. I don't know anything about anything in that realm. And so again, I mentioned that church is coming out and they're, you know, putting in a new floor and these new windows. I, I don't even paint. I don't even get to paint. In fact, I got delegate, I got dismissed one time to a closet by myself because what do I do for a living? I talk. I know it's funny. I have a speech impediment, but hey, God wanted to reveal this. It's right. So I talk. I mean, well, in order to get work done, they sometimes need to get the talker out of the room. Okay, so they got me out of the room and I'm by myself and I'm an extrovert. So this is like, this was hell or at least purgatory. No, I'm experiencing difficulty here, suffering in this room by myself. And, um, and yet I was reminded and then when someone did come in to check on me, make sure I was still there or still alive, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, talk to me for a couple minutes, an hour. I, uh, I was reminded of a little book Called the, uh, it's called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. It's a little tiny book, and I'd encourage you to read it. If, if you want to see the splendor of God and glorious worship displayed in all kinds of different work, it's this monk, Brother Lawrence, talking about how, how, how his, his, basically his job of washing dishes is glorious and brings him intimately into the very presence of God and allows him an opportunity to love his neighbor as himself and to gloriously worship God through scraping dirty dishes. It's incredible. And that's the kind of picture that you see here. God doesn't run away from messiness and brokenness as he leads his people who are facing problems. He calls us together. He deals with the problems. And now look at how he deals with them. In verses 3 and 5 now, you see more specifically how they go about it. And they say this, okay, this is the people in charge. This is what they say. They say, therefore, brothers, or in some brothers and sisters, pick out from among who? You. Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Again, because they know now you select authorities, leaders, influencers from among you who have that character. Again, we talked about it all. Who, connecting the dots over to Philippians 2, who won't take their position and their authority and use it for selfish gain. But no, this pick from among you seven men who are, who are already known, who have High, um, who are highly respected, who have a proven character and integrity, who will now lead by serving and appoint to this duty. And then in verse 5, it says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and it goes on and on again. I don't have to say all the names because D already did. But no, you see something massively important here for us today. A group of people are experiencing racial and social and socioeconomic difficulty. And I imagine it took great, a great level of courage and faith to even bring it up, right? Because the people they're addressing, the people they're, they're, they're kind of calling it out to aren't like them. It's mostly Hebrews who are of these 12 and they don't even see the problem. So they're going on leading and they're like, hey, it's cool. All the widows are being cared for. But this other group who is more marginalized and underrepresented says, uh, actually, um, we're not all Hebrews. Remember that whole different tongues thing in Acts chapter two and everyone, well, a bunch of, the, a bunch of us put our faith in Jesus and now a bunch of us are struggling in this community of God that he is forming. And, and what we see here very early on is who is appointed is the people that are suffering from these injustices and the people who recognize it are the people who come forward and then the people who are empowered to bring out the solution. It's not this, okay, earlier on we see here that, 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 that responsibility is delegated. And now in this part, what we see here clearly is that authority is distributed. 
okay, when we talk about tapestry tables, and I say it's not just going to be a top-down thing. It's not going to be a number of people that are look like me and are, you know, white kind of middle-class men saying, here, let me lead all of us and tell us all how to get better and how to do this stuff better, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to take care of all the problems. But why we're calling these tables is that we sit around these things together. We mutually submit to one another. We come under the authority of God and his word. And I'll just say it right here, specifically, um, the people that are not most obviously represented among us, in many cases, will be uh, encouraged to take uh, power and influence and authority to help speak into some of these issues. Because that's what we see is consistently what happens among God's people. Very clearly here. They don't just say, oh, right, guys, good question, good problem, our bad. Or they don't try to justify it away like I'm so often prone to do. Oh, you know, I'm not racist. I'm not, you know, hey, hey, I just missed it, whatever. Okay, cool, I'll fix it. But there's a level of humility here that says, yeah, I don't fully understand this problem. I recognize it. I acknowledge it. Now, why don't you... um, raise up from among yourselves or recognize people who, who see the problem, who have been experiencing the problem and who can help speak into the problem, who can help lead us, God's people, through healing and restoration. This is massively important for us as a church on a number of long, long levels, this whole section. Okay, on one hand here, you have... You have a, a delegation of responsibility. Okay, let me just say for all of us in here, we all need each other here in order to see these problems and bring these problems up. So if you see something, if you've been experiencing some kind of problem or injustice or anything it might be, I mentioned race, socioeconomics, it could be gender and age as well. In fact, there's um, just over the last couple of months, uh, there's a couple in our congregation who are um, older and their kids go here, and so their kids invited them, and they started coming, and then they, they um, cared about an issue significantly that at that point, they, they said, listen, we don't think this church really cares about this issue as much. Maybe it's an age thing. Maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. And so they asked to kind of meet with me, and we talked through it. And at first, though, they're posture was just like, hey, I know you guys are already doing what you're doing. You already care about what you're doing. You guys talk about, you know, the, 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 the sanctity of life, you know, after you're born and all these different things. Well, we care a lot about the sanctity of life before birth. And maybe that's just a generational thing in this context, because again, they're older. And thankfully in that, in that context, isn't always the case, but the spirit burdened me and convicted me to you know, say, man, shame on us if you who are, who are part of our church, faithfully serving, feel like there's not a place for you and your convictions and your burdens that God has laid on your heart to now lead us as a church into some of these areas. Because again, so often we don't know what we don't know. I thought we do care about that. We are speaking about those issues, but they were hearing through their, 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 their context and they said, well, I'm not hearing that. And so thankfully, and just be warned, as is often the case, we'll say as problems are going to raise up, right? They have been, and I anticipate and even hope they will more and more as we grow as a church. And often when problems are brought forward, and sometimes, you know, people think I'm going to get mad or say, who are you to, you know, bring that up or whatever. We already know everything we're doing. More often than not, we'll say, well, we're not doing that yet because we need you to lead us in that. Now, granted, of course, there's a, a a specific, you know, calling for us as a church, as a whole, you know, so it's not everything, every burden, every idea is going to be implemented and, you know, carried out and all that stuff. But more often than not, especially if it aligns with scripture, we will say you're empowered, you're commissioned, lead forward. And often if it is the case though, that says, I think this is something that the whole church needs to be involved with and, 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 and we need somebody to lead the charge with it. Then often we'll say, yeah, will you? Will you lead us in this way? And with that one couple specifically, they, they are and they have. And we just did a r- r- race for life uh, last weekend, which this couple led and l- l- led the charge on and is giving oversight for us as a church in that area. And it's incredibly good and helpful. And also, we need, everyone in here needs to hear this. We all need to be known and need to be needed. 
Okay, so there's, we're not interested in growing in numbers. We've talked about this before. We're not interested in filling the balcony and becoming the cool new thing and all this stuff. Like we're interested in disciples, okay, followers of Jesus, living all of life all for him, for God's glory and the good of others. And that means every one of us needs to be involved here needs to have, get their hands dirty, roll your sleeves up and have ownership and say, I'm a follower of Jesus and this is his church and I'm needed here. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take responsibility and kind of this is me calling us out. Uh, we need to give that opportunity and, and share the influence and the authority. And that's what you see happen in this last part is God's people coming together and the leadership, I always said L words, right? The leadership is leading through God redeeming these problems. Not just something to ignore, run away from, but God actually using them and redeeming. Okay, redeeming means making new what has been broken. So you see there in verse 6. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Laying hands on, I know in our individualistic kind of comfortable society, some of us say, you know, we don't like anyone to touch us or all this stuff. Well, it's very symbolic and very important here in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, it meant often a transfer of authority. And in the book of Luke, which remember Luke and Acts go hand in hand together. In the book of Luke, it was usually Jesus very intimately moving toward people, laying his hands on them and healing them. And then here in Acts, as we'll see all throughout here, it is it is. God's people empowered by his Holy Spirit laying hands on for the work of healing and the work of empowering and the work of commissioning. And in this case here, what we see happening is different people being commissioned and empowered to carry out the very works of God. This is massively important. Again, the leaders and the people of influence don't just say, we'll take care of it. We're the ones with all the power. We, we hold that on. Okay, All of us here has power and influence in some different way, whether you're a parent or a teacher or a spouse or a coworker or an employee or an employer or wherever it might be. And you see the, the power is used here to be given away, again, to equip others. And so they lay their hands on them. This is very symbolic. They lay their hands on primarily Hellenist or Greek-speaking Jewish people who weren't a part of the majority that had all the power. You see these leaders representing the majority giving that power and that influence away and laying their hands on to empower others to carry out the works, to meet the needs of God's people and to continue and carry on his mission. And it's beautiful. And it's, and, it, and, it's, and it's seen by others. In verse 7, you see the effect of this. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, okay, that's the religious authorities who they've been coming into con, uh, conflict with earlier, became obedient to the faith. Or really the idea they're captured is they entered into the community of faith. And ultimately, as we close, that's what we are. That's who we're called to be as a community of faith. Okay, let me first speak into that word faith. Faith is a transfer of trust. Faith is acknowledging this is Jesus's. We belong to Jesus. There's not this, 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 you know, cool group. There's not a student council. There's not a board. There's not an executive board here that's got all the power and the authority and makes everything work for our good and our enjoyment and our entitlement. But no, there's a surrender and a recognition of trust saying we, we have one king. We have one head of this whole body, and his name is Jesus. And we all communally use our different gifts and our different roles for his glory, and we submit to him. And then you see here, there's a community, a community of people. And sometimes that word sounds really fun and nice and good, and we picture potlucks and egg salads, although I don't because I don't like egg salad or anything with mayonnaise in it. Right, but we picture all these things. It's just, oh, it's neat and comfortable and safe. But the idea of community, we've talked about this before here, is messy and broken. 
And when you look at the community of faith that God is forming among his people, it is not people who are afraid to enter into difficulty together and who move apart when things get difficult. Okay, hear me, church. Look at me. Sin moves apart. The kingdom of this world moves apart, divorces, breaks apart, says, it just got uncomfortable, I'm out. Says, it's, it's, it's not the way I think it should go. It's, uh, I'm hearing something that sounds like it's from the other side of the political aisle or the gender aisle or the generational aisle or the tax bracket aisle or the racial aisle. That's not comfortable. I'm going to move away. I'm going to tap out. That's, that's evil. That's the effect of sin. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. Individualism. When, sin for, when, when Adam and Eve's eyes were opened and they saw their nakedness, what did they do? They hid They were ashamed. They moved away from one another. But when God promises to make new what has been broken in Genesis 3, even when he gives the first gospel, the first proclamation of the good news, he says, I'm about reconciling. I'm about bringing together. I'm about healing. I'm about about moving from, from here and here to here. To oneness, to closeness, to covenant, to community to messy, difficult community that God is leading, facing problems, dealing with problems, redeeming problems, to continue to carry out his mission among his people. And that's what we're called to. It's not easy, it's not natural, but it's good. And it's what Jesus has promised to accomplish among us. Amen? Let's uh, close and pray and respond together. Again, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We confess together that um, when issues and problems arise, we want to run. When, uh, Lord, when, when things that don't make sense to us or are uncomfortable for us, we just want to close our ears and go talk to other people who agree with us, at least on that particular issue. And then when things come up with those people that we don't agree with, we go find new people. And that's our tendency. But again, Lord, there's an integrity here of your gospel that if it is real and it is true and we believe with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength that it is because you died on the cross and you rose from the dead, because that is true, Lord, you care about all of it. So we pray that you would lead us into difficulty and messiness and problems. Lord, in order to reveal the glorious good news of who you are and what you have done and that that would be on display in us and among us and through us as your people, your community, your church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.